All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, first off, it's good to have Wig and Michelle back, where she's fooling around at. Woo! Uh, celebrations coming up this week. We have uh, Elaine Falcon on the 19th and Natalia Askey on the 21st. There is a ladies' meeting today at 3 o'clock here at the church, and all ladies are welcome. Precepts, 9 o'clock, Tuesday at Prince of Peace. Um... And then there has been a change made to the calendar. Mom's Next will be next Tuesday, not this Tuesday. And then Wednesday night Bible studies. Uh, dinner starts for juniors and teens at 6.30. Adult classes are at 7. Friday night youth, or Friday night youth game night this Friday from 6 to 8.30. And talk to Kira or Logan for more information. Uh, Sunday, April 30th, there will be a foot washing service. We will have a service as regular, but after the service, move to the fellowship hall for a foot washing. There are strong biblical reasons not to miss uh, this Sunday. And if you have any questions, contact Pastor Justin. This Friday is ladies' retreat. That's an addition. Uh, it's not too late. And see Miss Jessica if you do uh, want to go. And if you'd like to give to the Ukraine offering, Lois has the envelope for that. We did a, a Bible study on Wednesday nights a little while ago called the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it was a very beautiful look at this one truth, and it's the truth that the God that created time is not in a hurry. He's not frantically running around trying to figure out how to do His will. He's not uh, running around frantically searching for people that will, will obey and honor Him. That the God that created time is patient and he bears with all people and Miss Carol of all people I don't mean to embarrass you but um, she gave me some advice one day and she said you know why don't you just breathe and my, my first instinct was to get a little bit offended because I, I do breathe but uh, she said you know we miss so much when we're just going from the one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Just breathe. Just wait. It doesn't have to be done in a hurry. And there's something about being in God's presence. I mean, church, if, if God's not in it, what are we here for? Yeah. If he's not in our praise, why are we here? If he's not in, our, in our, the word going forth, why are we here? And so there's something about coming together and being together in the presence of the Lord that does more for us in a short amount of time than everything else we can do. And when I think about heaven, I, you know, when I was little, I used to think about the streets of gold and, and all that and how awesome it would be to see that. The older I get and the more mature in my faith I get, I cannot wait to not be in a hurry with the Lord, to sit at his feet and to not be worrying about what I have to do next to be worshiping him with, with all the heavenly host and to not worry about a Monday or what I have to do on a Tuesday or what I have to do on a Wednesday just to worship him. And so there's something that we need to understand as God's people when we come together and we worship and when he graces us with, graces us with his presence, it's a foretaste of heaven. We're not perfect on this side of, of, of heaven. We, we don't maybe seeing as much as we can and, and 
I pray to God that he gives me a voice to sing in heaven much better than the one I have now. But it won't matter. And so I encourage you, as, as the world runs quicker and quicker into speed and anxiety and the rush and the, the, the pressures of having to go, go, go and do, 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 that, that we just be in the presence of God. That we're not in a hurry. That we don't tip our hat to God and run about to do all the other important things. That we understand that God is the most important. And that time spent with God is never wasted. Amen. You can be seated. Would, would you bow your heads with me as I open in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this worship team. Father, I thank you for your presence. And God, I pray that as your people, we would never take your presence for granted. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as we continue to go through this service, that you would move amongst your people. God, as I bring forth this word, I pray that you would anoint my mouth to speak your words, God. That I would be a willing vessel for the Holy Spirit. Father, that you would touch me and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, clarity of mind as your word goes forth. But Father, I also pray that you would give us understanding. Holy Spirit, you have promised to lead us and guide us into all truth. And so I pray that as we look at these scriptures today, some that are hard to understand, that you will lead us and guide us. God, I come against uh, the enemy in any way, uh, be it distractions, be it uh, the things that we have coming up later this week. And God, I pray that for the next few minutes, we could just sit in your presence as we are instructed from the words of life. May everything that is said and done bring glory and honor to you. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. I want to, again, just thank everybody that, that stepped in and, and covered the pastoral duties and the church duties when I was gone. Um, be praying for Pastor Brian and Sean as we're traveling this weekend. Uh, but you guys did well. I did watch uh, as much as I was able to from um, my home, my computer. It's not the same as being in church with you all. Uh, I also, uh, just for the sake of transparency, have new glasses. They are progressives, so I can't tell what I'm looking at most of the time. So if I'm staring at you today, it's not because I'm staring at you, because I can't see you. Uh, I'm just looking at, at spotty faces out there. Um, that being said, I can say, with all honesty, that to me, you guys look beautiful today. Um, the other thing is, too, I want to just really quick, if you see Jessica or Miss Lisa, they did decorate the front, so um, I think it's beautiful, and you could tell them that, too. Um, really quick about the foot washing service. It's always a hard thing to do because if you announce it ahead of time, everybody has vacation that Sunday. It will be probably our least attended Sunday of the year. If you don't announce it ahead of time, the next Sunday is the least attended Sunday because nobody had time to get their feet done. So, that being said, uh, it is a biblical command. Um, we have not done one since I've been here. And uh, I do want to just really quickly say that, that Peter didn't want to have his feet washed and, and Christ gave him a pretty strong command that if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. And so I urge you, as embarrassing as it might be, as awkward as it might seem, uh, there's nothing more powerful to me than washing feet. Both having it done for you and doing it to others. And I, I'm just being honest, I can't stand feet. Feet are like my kryptonite. So... 
That being said, I understand the, the, the awkwardness. I understand the, the, maybe the desire to not be here. But I promise you, if you will come and you will submit yourself to the authority of Scripture and the words of Christ himself, you will be blessed. Amen. We are going to dig into uh, the return of Christ, which is, again, the longest, shortest series I've ever done in my life. I have good news. The end is near. Uh, only a couple more Sundays and we will be through it. But all the other times that we've done this uh, series, we've been able to kind of just go verse, verse by verse in a linear fashion. And this way, we're, this one, we're not going to be able to do that. So what I want to do is I want to read all the scriptures up front from, that we're going to look at and then break them down, uh, moving here and there throughout this passage. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, we'll start in verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles, they will be up on the screen. 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness." So the first thing I want to talk about in this passage is the rapture of the church, and that's found in verse 1 and verses 6 through 7. So verse 1 again says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, and then 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 7 says, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And I'd like you to... Look at that scripture up there. Uh, in this scripture, there's a capital H for he. In verse 6, there's a lowercase h. So keep that in mind as we go. It, it matters and it's important. But what Paul's talking about here is the truth that he's already told them. And he told them that in his first letter to them, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. He said, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What, what Paul's talking about in, in 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, or 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, chapter 2, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 are not two separate events, but the same event. So what happens when, when the church is raptured? What happens is that uh, Satan is free to move in ways that he has never been. He, he's free to, to start his plan, to bring his plan to fulfillment. And the Bible talks about how he who now restrains will be taken out of the way. And that brings up the question of who he is. There's some that, that uh, think that this is, is the church, and, and it's not the church. It's almost unanimous among scholars and Bible teachers that this he refers to the Holy Spirit. Uh, it does not say that he will be completely removed. It says that he will be taken out of the way, uh, moved aside. The, the literal translation of this verse, of this passage, means to be taken out of the midst. If the Holy Spirit was taken and completely gone from the earth, there would be no tribulation saints. It wouldn't be possible. And so what, what is happening is that the, the church is raptured and the Holy Spirit is moved off to the side. And the thing about this is that the church is never referred to as a he in Scripture. The church is always a she, always a her, always the bride. And so when we look at this, we, we may not think that the, the church is important or we might think that the church is only important if it has 500 members. I mean, what? and just being honest, do you ever feel like, what are we doing? How important is this church in the whole realm of things? And, and there's a lot of churches that I think wonder that and think about that at times. And you, you see, you know, because of, of social media and, and the access we now have, we can see mega churches that, that talk about everything that they're doing through the week. And they got so many programs going on and they got uh, 47 pastors and, and all these things. And, and sometimes we think that those are the churches that are doing a lot while we're just kind of huddled together. But, but this is not true. The Holy Spirit works through each and every faithful church he has, wherever those churches are found, no matter if they have three in attendance or 3,000 in attendance. And so the, the, the world is bad, the world is wicked, and the world is evil, but it's not as bad as it has the potential to be. It's not as wicked as it has the potential to be, and it's not as evil as it has the potential to be. The Holy Spirit is restraining evil through each and every one of his churches by his presence being in them. When the church has happened, or when the church is raptured, the Holy Spirit is not completely removed. He's just set aside. And so despite all the flaws that the church has, and she has a lot, and I'm saying church in, in capital C, not, not Vila Church. Uh, but even though she has flaws, and even though she's not perfect, that's still how God chooses to bring his gospel message to people that don't know. Lot was not a perfect man. As a matter of fact, you could say that Lot was actually a pretty flawed character. He made a lot of mistakes. But his presence in Sodom held back the wrath of God. Once Lot was moved, the wrath of God poured down. And it was horrible. And so the presence of the church in the world, and, and to me, it's exciting to think that, that we don't have to play somebody else's part in this story. We get to be Prairie View Church of God, where God has planted us, where God has put us to do what God has called us to do right here, right now. God's not waiting for somebody else. He's not waiting for another church. He's not waiting for more equipped people. He's not waiting for this or that. Right here, right now, God has his church. And I think that's awesome. And so when the church is removed out of the way and the Holy Spirit is, is moved to the side, that opens the doorway for the appearance of the Antichrist. And so we're going to get into that in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3-5, and then 2 Thessalonians, the first part, verse 8. 
3 says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember when I was with you, I told you these things? In 2 Thessalonians 8, the first part of that verse says, And then the law of this one will be revealed. Paul does not use the term Antichrist in this letter, but he does refer to the great world dictator that Satan will set up. He refers to him in three different ways. That man of sin, the son of perdition, and that lawless one, and they are all one and the same. Satan has always, always, always sought power and sought worship. He's been at war with God since he rebelled and tried to capture God's throne. In Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, we read the following. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the, the pit. The Greek prefix anti has two meanings. It means against and instead of. So not only is Satan and the Antichrist and, and all his, his minions and all that, not only are they against Christ, he wants to be worshipped instead of Christ. That's his whole goal. And so there's some facts that pertain to the Antichrist, uh, which we're worth looking at today. And here's the thing, church. I'm not giving you these scriptures so that you can run home and spend all of your time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. I'm giving you these scriptures so that you know there is an Antichrist coming and you can be more pressing into God and making sure that those that you know that don't know the Lord, know the Lord. So I'm, I'm, I'm not huge on the conspiracy theory side of things. I'm more that, that all scripture is given for instruction and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. And that's what I'm looking at. Uh, if you disagree with these, you're welcome to, to find me after service, but I'm going to read them as they sit. Revelation 6, 1 through 2. The first thing that we understand about the Antichrist is not that he presents himself as this evil, horrible being. He comes first as the peacemaker. Revelation 6, verses 1 through 2. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. The Antichrist will be on the scene before the rapture, and he will work hard to bring the nations of Europe together into a strong power. Revelation 17, verses 12 through 14. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So the first thing is he's a peacekeeper, a peace bringer. The second thing about the Antichrist is that he is the protector. Now, when you think of Antichrist, do you think of any of these things? Because my, my immediate thinking of the Antichrist is, this horrible, uh, non-charismatic, just Satan-possessed person. 
but he doesn't come that way. And so, church, our job is to read Scripture, to pray, and to be awake. Because he starts out good. He starts out doing a lot of things that, if, if we aren't smart, are going to think are really, really good things. So he's a protector. In Daniel 9, verses 24 through the first part of 27, we read the following. The 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he, again lowercase he, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. The first part of that prophecy deals with Israel and Jerusalem and the temple and, and not the church. It also announces a time when the Messiah will come and a time when, when he will accomplish certain purposes and then he's cut off. But I want you to understand that they, they say Messiah the Prince with the capital P. And then after he's cut off, there's a second prince that comes with a lowercase p. And that's important. The, the, the prince with a capital P we know is, is Jesus and the prince with the lowercase p is the Antichrist. He will come and he will make a covenant with, with many and... and one of the things that is so striking about this prophecy is that for a time, he will solve the crisis in the Middle East. And I don't know about you, but that crisis has been going on since before I was born. It's all I've ever heard about. And so that's, that's one of the things that will happen. And so our job, again, is to, to wake up and to be aware. We are moving. There, there's things going on right now that have never happened in the world before. And again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'm a Bible-believing Christian, and there's Sometimes a difference and sometimes not. I don't know. Um, I did think about showing the clips uh, Thief in the Night. Have you guys ever seen that movie? Can you raise your hand if you have? I got saved like 14 times watching that movie. It's the scariest thing I've ever seen. But that aside, I think the, the more we grow up hearing that the Lord is going to return and, and the more that he doesn't, the more we tend to think he won't. Man, does Satan jump up and down with joy for that? Be ready. After being the peace bringer and the protector, the Antichrist becomes the peace breaker. So going back to Daniel 9.27, the full scripture, it says, Then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. The Antichrist will break his covenant with the Jews, and he will take over their temple, which will set up the great apostasy and the beginning of the great falling away. And he wants to be worshipped in God's place at this point. Why? Because that's Satan's goal. Think about it. Everything that Satan has ever done has been to take the place of God, to take the place of the worship of God's people. 
Jesus spoke about this directly in, in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 25. Jesus says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on, top, on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. This is not my notes, but I'm going to add this. There is a danger in following signs and wonders. If you are following signs and wonders, if you are going from place to place, looking for the gold falling from the ceiling and for the, the, the uh, goosebumps that just tickle you all over the place, that's how you're led into deception. I'm not against the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm not against signs and wonders. What I am for is God being glorified when those things are done. Where they are done in a way that no man can take credit and that you know without a shadow of a doubt it is the Holy Spirit himself moving. We are very quick to run to the next greatest thing and it will be the downfall of the church. The next thing the Antichrist is is, is the persecutor. Revelation 13, 15 through 17 says, He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. He will come to kill as many as he can that do not worship the image of the beast. He'll make it so that in order to, to eat, to buy, to work, to do anything, have any sort of commerce, you'll have to be marked in one way, shape, or form. Jesus himself said that there will be no persecution like this, no tribulation like this, ever. This will be so great. And, and so that does bring up another topic, is that there will be tribulation saints. But those saints will be persecuted, tortured, and they will give their life for the Lord. And so I want to issue a word of caution, in case anyone mishear what the Lord is saying. This is not something to mess around with. This is not something where you live how you want to today and then the rapture happens and you say, all right, now it's time to get right with God. As if you had a chance. That's foolish for two reasons. One, you don't know the day of your death. What if your day of death is the day of the rapture? What if it's one day afterwards? What if it's two years before? You don't know. The second is there's a, a significantly high chance that if you won't live for Jesus now, you're not going to die for him then. Hear me for that. If you're not living for Jesus now, you're not going to die for him then. And I, I actually know people that have this mentality of, I'm going to live how I want. You guys go ahead. I'll join you one way or the other. And, and I'm, we forget all the scriptures that talk about how, uh, and we're talking about this in Wednesday night, but how people harden their heart. 
your heart doesn't automatically come soft because the rapture happens. It won't automatically come so- become soft because this or that. The more you harden your heart, the harder your heart gets. And if God can't break through it with the gospel, the rapture is probably not going to do it. The, the, the rich man in Lazarus, he said, go, tell my brothers, please tell them. What was the answer? They're probably not going to listen. You didn't. So there has to be something understood here that what matters right here, right now, is where you sit with the Lord. And that's it. It's not, I think we should know prophecy, and I think we should be aware of it. But sometimes you can make prophecy your God. And that's a really dangerous place to be. The final thing that the Antichrist is, is the prisoner. It's a longer passage, but I want to read it entirely. It's Revelation 19, beginning verse 11. It says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. This is a different white horse than the one that we read about previously. It says, And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him, who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who were signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword that proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So, these scriptures that we have that talk about the Antichrist, they're, they're not to, to glorify him in a way that we live in fear or worry. Because here's the truth, Christ wins. He always has. But if you are not in Christ, those should be some of the most scariest scriptures that can be read. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8-12, finishing that, that portion of, of scripture out. It says, And then the law of this one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with his breath, Sorry, with the breath of his mouth, and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness." We see right there in verse 11, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. Why? 
because they didn't believe the truth, because they loved the lie. And so there, there's two kingdoms that have always been at work, the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of Satan. Satan has always been an imitator. He's always wanted to have what Christ has. And Christ has always been the Savior. Satan can do false signs and wonders to deceive. The signs and wonders that Christ does are real. They always point to the Father. Satan always lies to get his way, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Satan points us to ourselves, which is the lie that most people believe, and by extension, himself, and Christ points us to the Father. The Lord will return, we know that. And on that day, all lies will be killed. I mean, I mean think about that one of the most crazy things in Scripture to me is that those that are left on the earth in the Great Tribulation, even when God is pouring out His wrath, they still defy Him. How much do you have to love falsehood to be in that position? How much do you have to think that it's you and only you that matters? And, and the truth of the matter is, is I, when I was younger growing up and, and, and hearing my dad preach on this stuff, I used to think, how in the world could we ever get there? Because I grew up in a small town where everybody cared for everybody else. You, you, you loved your neighbor. I mean, you, you were in fellowship and in community and it meant something. And, and I, I used to think, how in the world could we ever get there? And then I was probably 36-ish, somewhere around there. And uh, we went to New York with Jessica's parents. They, they wanted to show us the big city. And I will never forget how spiritually disheartened I was when I left. You don't matter there. It's just a, a, a sea of endless faces walking down the street. Nobody knows anybody else. Nobody cares about anybody else. It's, at that time, I was from Montana, and so I'm like, hey, hey, how's it going? How you doing? Hey. And Jessica's like, you're going to get us killed. You know, it, it, it honestly, it depressed me in a way that I had to deal with it for a little bit when I got home because that's how. When you can be in a sea of a million people and not matter, that's how. And so, while this is not a conversation about loving each other and being, being there for each other, that's one way that we can stop this lie of believing that's all about us, is being in community with other people. Not only will, will Christ judge the Antichrist and defeat him, but he'll also judge all unbelievers. And so there's no escape. You're either in Christ or you're not. And we've covered a, a lot of ground today, and, and I know that that in and of itself can bring its own type of weight to our minds and our spirits, but the truth of the matter is, is that there's a kingdom that is steadily growing in power that is not God's kingdom. It has to steadily grow in power. It doesn't mean that, that God's church loses power. It doesn't mean that God's church is somehow pushed way out of the way. The church is called to do what the church is called to do until the church is no longer called to do it. Right? We're still here. We're called. No matter how frightening that empire gets, it's not eternal. The one that we belong to is and so in the midst of looking at some pretty scary things, and, and, you know, there's been a lot, of, a lot of twisting to the truth that's in Revelation. 
through popular movies and, and, and book series and things like that, we're told beforehand so that we can be ready. Everything else is secondary. Whether it's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all of that is secondary. None of that matters if you're not ready. Does it matter if it's post-trib if we're not ready? And does it matter if it's pre-trib if we're not ready? None of that matters. But we get caught so much up in those things that we forget that the, the important thing for today, and, and Pastor Brian said it last week, this urgency is that, that we are ready. I, I cannot tell you the urgency that's been on my spirit, that's been on Pastor Logan's spirit, that's been on Pastor Brian's spirit, of, of being ready. And it's not this fake ready where I'm, I'm good because I go to church. It's this, this being ready, being in Christ. There, there's two sections of Scripture that should scare us to death. The first is the tale of the ten virgins, where they went out. But some didn't have oil in their lamps. They weren't ready. And so they had to go look for what they were missing, and they missed what they were waiting for. That's scary. They were all together to begin with. Uh, the second is when Christ says, you know, these people come to him and say, did, did we not do all these great things in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do all these works? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. There is a lawless Christianity well alive today. It's people that come to church and live like the devil and see no issue. And the funny thing is, is that with social media, you're not that hidden. You tell on yourselves quite a bit. Not Nobody here, of course, would ever do that, but people elsewhere. Church, it's not about legalism. It's not about uh, tradition. It's not about uh, making sure that we're cleaned up on the outside. It's about understanding that this is a life and death situation, that it matters for eternity. When we started this series, I thought it would be over in a very short amount of time. We're still going. It's been broken up a lot longer than I thought it would. Think about the things that have happened from the time it started till now. Things that nobody saw coming, nobody could have even foretold. And so what I understand is that all of God's word is important. But when we're praying and we're asking for God to give us a word for the people, a timely word, not, not a, a new revelation, not, a, not something that can make our name great, a timely word that can help this church hear from God, and this is what we get, we better hear. It only matters if you're in him. If you're not, none of the rest of it matters. Next week, we're going to look at, at the truth and, and, and what it means that we've been given the truth, but the responsibility not just to believe the truth, but to share the truth. Because church, if this matters, if this is a matter of life or death, there's two ways to look at this. One is we have a responsibility to make sure we're in Christ. But what does it say about us if we're in Christ and we don't tell If I won a million dollars and I didn't tell my wife, is there anything that she could say or that I could say where I said, I love you? Right? Church, we've been given a treasure way greater than a million dollars. 
and we don't tell a whole lot of people about it. So all that matters is that we're in him. Next week, I'm going to beat you up one side down the other with the truth and our responsibility to share it. But here's the beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit is still at work today. So he that has called you to come to Christ is working to call others to come to him as well. The burden doesn't rest on your shoulders. But the ability to open your mouth does. Will you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word, Father. And I know that uh, this is definitely not the type of sermon where we jump up and down and we feel good and we, we just break out in praise because it's more serious than that. This is a sermon, and these are scriptures that cause us to look at the world around us to really have to think about where we sit that cause us to have to do some introspection of ourselves. Not just if we're in you or not. As Paul says, examine yourselves to make sure that you're in the faith. But if we are, what are we doing about it? And so I pray that the urgency that I feel in my spirit would be given to each and every person here. Not an urgency that, that is so overbearing that it moves us to anxiety. And not one that is so over overpowering that we become paralyzed. But God, one that, that undergirds everything that we say and do that, that would cause us to get up a little bit earlier, to spend a little bit more time with you. That would cause us, Father, to, to be a little bit more aware of what's going on around us and who is around us. That would cause us, Father, to, to see that unless somebody spoke the truth of the gospel to us, we wouldn't be here. And to understand that, God, we cannot call anybody to salvation, but that you choose to call others to you for salvation through us. May we be bold. May we be loving. And may we be the church that you've called us to be. I thank you and I praise you for each and every person here. Keep them safe, Father, as they go. Father, for every need, those known and unknown, would you show yourself mighty in each and every situation. Touch those that need a physical healing, Father. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.